again to another episode of mike mike and oscar i am your co-host mike one co-host also mike is here as well big big oscar race checkpoint a couple of the major film festivals i've just kicked off gotten underway and we're gonna cover at least i don't know 40 percent of it <laughs> maybe less but <laughs> it feels like a lot yeah. because telluride had its opening night venice had its opening night so that's what we'll cover today we're we're gonna come back at you guys with a bunch of oscar race checkpoints here in september because uh you know, there's there's just so many movies and so many first reactions to review the reviewers on. So that's always a, a fun time of year where we can do that, Mike. And it's becoming uh it's becoming a thing with us. Like can is a fun time yep. to review the reviewers in the spring. And now we get you know, we get to quote a lot of our, you know, film Twitter friends and we certainly get uh we, we have like recurring characters, some of these guys, some of these reviewers, some of these some of these critics, you know? Yeah. We, uh, we, we, we shout out our friends, and then we make fun of the famous people. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think uh, the famous people, especially the famous people who love a negative review, those are our favorites, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and there's a couple of those with some big names here today. But yeah, like you said, Telluride is underway. Venice is underway. Let's start with the Telluride Film Festival. Yeah, they customarily announced their lineup a day before, a day and a half before. The big takeaways and the big first reactions from night one got to start with Saltburn and the Bike Riders, Michael. That's right! The Bike Riders! Trumpet noises! The Lion King celebration music! We're here! Rev the engine! Drive directly into a tree 30 feet away. And Sean Fennessy was immediately like, this reminds me of some movie with John Travolta... <laughs> and a bunch of old guys whose names I can't recall. Tim they went Allen, into a Tim hot Allen tub. Yeah, I forget if it was Sean Fennessy or uh, Ann Thompson, but they were like, yeah, yeah. Tim Allen. Mm-hmm. No, it's <laughs> Sean Fennessy. Imagine said. if Ann Thompson even knew what Wild Hogs was. There's no way someone of her prestige is low. No, all right, go ahead. All right, Sean Fennessy says, there hasn't been a movie like this in some time. There's no other way to say it. Dudes rock. Thomas Laffley, uh, following that up, if Jeff Nichols were to make a Scorsese mafiosa movie, it would look very much like Bike Riders' exceptional ensemble work and a stunning performance from Jodie Comer. Side note, few things are as captivating on the big screen as Austin Butler smoke. Yeah, it could be Austin Butler living, but she went with smoking, I guess, uh, in this movie. <laughs> uh, we ha- Was he actually smoking a cigarette? or was uh, he, okay. He's just that hot, his body. It was the aura he was giving off. <laughs> all right. Uh, not all reviews were quite as positive for the bike riders though scott menzel wrote that it is well shot but the story did very little to engage eric anderson also called it a quote we copy of good fellows uh, good fellas uh with accents that go off the wall michael what do you think this is a big movie for you the bike riders what do you think of this first reception i'm stunned <laughs> <laughs> there was so little hype from anyone but me about this, and I, I feel like I was the only one talking about it as an Oscars possible uh, possibility for I don't know what the for nine months here of this year, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I saw very very few negative or tepid reviews. Everything seemed to be in 
trending towards the more positive side of things. And like I tweeted last night, if this has Oscars legs and shows up in a couple big six categories, like some people have suggested, you'll never hear the end of it from me. Yeah, you diff- you were on this train or on this, uh, what do they call a bunch of motorcyclists? I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> you think I'm cool enough <laughs> to know what a pack of motorcycle riding people are called? I mean, I know that I had a leather ga- jacket once it's in seventh a, grade. It's got to be a gang, right? I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's not pejorative at all. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, we're all Mike to and a I have start. been through it this week, by the way. So this yeah. this has the potential to be one of those episodes. Just giving you fair warning at the onset here. At least we have another movie that is uh, not going to divide anybody up next mm-hmm. year. So we can keep mm-hmm. this going. Uh, Saltburn. <laughs> now, Saltburn. The, the tweet storm on Saltburn is wild. Like, the initial first reactions, I was following it. Friends of the show, Christina Yearling Biro, who's got a great podcast, Pop Culture Confidential. Yes. Uh, she tweeted, Emerald Fennell is simply next level brilliant, full stop, hashtag Saltburn. And, uh, oh my God, Matt Negley loved it as well, Mike. Saltburn is a twisted film from Emerald Fennell on class, wealth, and our immoral and perverted desires to obtain it. Barry Keoghan is absolutely fearless, a slow, sensual burn with a jaw-dropping finale, that from Matt Neglia. But the scores do not back up the highest praise from our buddies. Right. When I looked at uh, Rotten Tomatoes this morning, I was shocked. I was shocked. 57% on seven reviews. We have a spikily entertaining, narratively rackety ride led by a formidable Barry Keoghan in in devil may care mode. I love that sentence by Fiona Nuala Halligan of Screener International. What a great little pull quote there. Nobody does pull quotes like David Ehrlich. Uh, (laughs) A furiously candied pop (laughs) confection whose most beautiful flourishes never seem to add up. That of uh, uh, Mr. Ehrlich there of IndieWire, one of our favorite reviewers to review. I don't want to... I mean, I, I, I want to antagonize David Ehrlich. That's my dream mm. uh, in this space at some point because mm. I love his reviews. <laughs> Just I get them. on his bad side and have Yeah, no, no, I, d- I definitely do. I definitely want to yeah. get on his bad I, I Would you want to be on his good side? Does well, he have one? <laughs> well, he may because he reviewed one film positively this, this week, and I'm, I can't wait to read it. But And it was quite the review, yes. Yes, but I want to say a furiously candidate pop confection is exactly how he started the Promising Young Woman review. I don't know uh, if I can recall that, but it was. It could be. It could be a furiously <laughs> candied pop. Uh, you tell any, say anything's a furiously candied pop confession. I'm probably showing up with my fat ass. You love furiously <laughs> candied candied pop confections. You got a sweet tooth like no other. Yes, yes, you do. Um, all right, we have a saltburn trailer, and we'll mix in these trailer reviews as we go over these first reactions. And this saltburn trailer had the pioneers, the M83 remix by Block Party stylish titles and graphics that you're kind of down on and definitely British castle porn, Michael. <laughs> like the aesthetics of this I like, but the plot, I was just like, oof. I, I was as, as unfazed by this trailer as I was phased by Promising Young Woman's first look. I, what is, the, like, Downton Elordi? Is that <laughs> Billy Kyogenson? Because he's just hanging out by a pool all day? I read people were comparing it to the talented Mr. Ripley. I, I guess if you look at it with that lens, it makes more sense, but... It is I don't know. technically a teaser here, and teasers don't necessarily give away the plot, usually. I've read the premise, I believe, on this show a few times... And it's it's apparently about this postgraduate situation from Oxford where these two buddies go to 
one of a, one of their mansions for the summer. So they're at Saltburn, which is the name of the mansion. Jacob Alordi's parents' place. His parents are. It's a horrible name for a mansion, by the way. Oh, it's a this terrifying name. Wouldn't you think that all the Salt cults burn? All the cults practice there. Wouldn't you think that? <laughs> If I had a friend who was like, why don't you come back to my house, Saltburn? If your no. house has a name, I'm, exactly. I'm be Get the hell out of here. Immediately skeptical. But uh, apparently Richard E. Grant and Rosamund Pike live there. Or who, how they're related, I don't know. Are they husband and wife? We'll find out. Apparently Rosamund Pike is very funny. Anyway, I'm wondering if, if Barry's in love with Jacob's character here. So that's the, the vibe that the, I think the trailer was going for, and that does play kind of into the Mr. Ripley idea of it all. So I can see that. And there was a cool score, and I, it's very aesthetically pleasing. I wouldn't be surprised to see this compete in the production design or even cinematography spaces at the end of the day. There were some cool shots, but I don't know. I like By the time we were at the end of this trailer and it was doing that pulsating beat that was spelling out Saltburn letter by letter, I wanted to rip my hair out. <laughs> you don't have a lot of patience these days. Uh, <laughs> however... I'm, I'm a little surprised because Block Party, wasn't that a big band with you and my brother back in college? Because it was for me, or was that just my brother? No, Block so... I, I like Block Party back Block Party. They're good! I've never, like, dove into their stuff, but I'm such a Tom DeLonge, you know, disciple, and he cited them over and over again as one of his biggest influences, So, or a band that he's really into, so I don't know why. I've just never really taken a dive, but So Here We Are is a really good song, I can tell you that. Anyway, a Carrie Mulligan supposedly has a small but very important role. You've with a never huge scene. brushed me off quicker. With yeah, anything. I don't know what to tell you, but because <laughs> whenever you get into Blink One Eighty Two stuff, you you want to do a podcast about Blink One Eighty Two. The entire ninety minutes. Yes. There's please. a there's a fifth there's fifteen more pages to go here. I mean, what do you want me to do, man? Because <laughs> that we're going to be talking about aliens in in, yeah. in in moments, mere moments. That doesn't get that doesn't get talked about enough. The guy from Blink One Eighty Two brought that to the forefront. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I don't believe it. Anyway, all right. <laughs> we'll continue with some other big name Telluride lineup highlights. I do want to rip off a bunch that'll be you know playing over the next few days here. It's just one weekend at Telluride. I can't wait to go someday. It'll have to happen for us, Michael. Yeah. But Anatomy of a Fall getting a lot more praise. I think that actually did debut, but we've already covered the hell out of it. Beyond Utopia, the great Sundance doc about uh, South Korea and North Korea's relationship there. Cassandro, Fingernails, El Conde. We'll talk more about those as this episode goes along. Nyad, Perfect Days, Poor Things. My God, I can't wait to hear, hear the uh, yeah. first reactions for Poor Things. <laughs> and the Zone of Interest. They're all going to play at Telluride, like I said. But we also have a bunch more huge movies on that first night, Michael. The Holdovers, Rustin, and all of us strangers. The Holdovers getting rave reviews, especially from friends of the show. Ryan McQuaid at Ryan McQuaid, 77 of In Session Film and Awards. Watch. He said the holdovers may seem like the film. We all think it's going to be based on the trailer, but it's much more emotional and humorous than I imagined. While Giamatti and Randolph give stellar performances, Dominic Sessa is the one who steals the show. Payne's best film since Sideways. I don't 
Payne and Giamatti just stay together and keep doing things. It seems to help both their careers and performances and CVs. Sasha Stone at Awards Daily. The Holdovers is a home run. Absolutely brilliant. They mostly don't make movies like this anymore or this good. Here is Payne, an absolute master. Not everything was super positive, though, for The Holdovers because the angel <laughs> of death hath arrived. David Ehrlich of IndieWire. He says, I'm kind of underwhelmed by the holdovers, much as I'm down for Alexander Payne and scent of a woman mode. Nuanced, It's nuanced enough to make you nostalgic for when movies like this were, weren't such a rarity, but it is too slight to cut as deep as it should. Hmm. That's... That's basically a compliment from him. <laughs> <laughs> he does praise it quite a bit. Like the, if you get backhanded compliments, yeah, you just take those backhands from yeah. David Ehrlich. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's essentially as good as it gets for the most part from Mr. Ehrlich. There. So I, I would take that as a positive. Owen Gleiberman and David Ehrlich mm-hmm. and Mike One here. <laughs> you guys, the, the three horsemen of the apocalypse. The, sick, the sitcom <laughs> needs to happen. What do we say anyway? Like three cans ago, we had this whole running. Three bit. of us living in a studio apartment together, trying to stay out of each other's way. Anyway, I'd, I'd, I'd watch that show. Rustin, Michael. Rustin debuted last night as well. Eric Anderson at Awards Watch said, Rustin moved me deeply. It's taken 60 years to tell the story of Bayard Rustin, and it's focused on the months leading up to the March on Washington are full of rousing speeches paired with a crackling, fiery performance from Coleman Domingo that is the best of his career. Yeah, Clayton Davis follows that up. Colton Domingo's missing tooth in Rustin will likely get filled with an Oscar. Already calling his shot as Clayton Davis here. The man throws down the gauntlet and delivers a performance for the ages. Brian Rowe following that up. Rustin is a compelling and emotional crowd pleaser with an astonishing Oscar-worthy turn by Coleman Domingo. What he brings to his nuanced performance is a remarkable achievement. Aside from one distracting casting choice and a slightly rushed ending, this terrific film is a must-see. Good job by you, Michael, for filling in Rustin a couple times over uh, in the 75 percent accurate oscars predictions we did last month uh the holdovers has some buzz i was on top of that being uh well represented we're 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 not bad at this sometimes you know what between the two of us we could be 100 we got one pundit here yeah we got one pundit here (laughs) nobody knows the difference between us anyway so (laughs) all right coleman domingo is gonna receive the 2023 tiff performer award i believe it's next week when tiff opens up and Let's look at the recent history of of this t- one of these TIFF tributes, right? Last year's TIFF awards tabbed Brendan Fraser for the tribute, Michelle Yeoh for the Groundbreaker Award, Sam Mendez and Hilder Guanadatier. Uh, Fraser and Yo both won Oscars, of course. Mm-hmm. In 2021, we had Jessica Chastain, Benedict Cumberbatch, Denis Villeneuve, and Ari Wegner. They they were all uh, awarded. Jessica Chastain, mm-hmm. of course, won. Cumberbatch, etc., uh, nominated. Anthony Hopkins Absolutely. and Chloe Zhao won in 2020. Uh, we had uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Taika Waititi, and Rocket Roger Deakins win in 2019. So in the last four years, five of the eight TIFF Acting Award recipients won Oscars. Six of the eight were nominated, and two of the four TIFF Director awardees won either a director or a screenplay award with Chloe and Taika Michael. That's good research. I like the way you say nominated there by nominated. I don't know why. I put the emphasis on the other syllable. Yeah. Um, Look, there is a defined blueprint now for studios thinking that a biopic is going to be a lead acting contender for Oscars. 
Mm. And we've been on top of this, and we've talked about it, and Rustin is following suit. We were on this for the last 16 months or so. And when we finally got our first look of, of Coleman Domingo in that role that came out the same day Netflix said they were pushing it back, pushing its release back to 2023, uh, back in 2021 when we talked about this, I think. This is it. Like, like, there's too much evidence to say this is not now a marketing ploy, right? Oh, there, it's, there's no question. I mean, we saw the... Him, uh, Freddie, uh, the Freddie Mercury biopic, uh, Winston Churchill biopic. You know, it's it okay. happens over and over again. Tom Hanks is... Uh... Mr. Rogers, we mm-hmm. had uh, Spencer, Diana, Princess Diana, yep. Joker. Even though that's not a biopic, but it's the it's a biopic. It's a biopic. He's been around long enough in pop culture to be a real human. It, 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 absolutely, and he gets strongest <laughs> when you don't think he really exists. I believe that's the truth. All right, pros. <laughs> that's a top ten joke by you. Go ahead. Pros and cons. I just watched The Pope's Exorcist, though. I'm filled with devil jokes today. Oh, right. what did you think, real quick? I, I did like it. I did like yeah, it. Right? Yeah, right? It's fun. It's fun. Right, it's, good. it's a fun, it's a fun, de- delightful little romp <laughs> yeah. around the Vatican, I would and say. And Russell Crowe, no business being that good, right? He's very good in it. He's, he's okay. very good. Number one, he's yeah. very good. All right. Good. I'm I, glad enjoy, I enjoyed The Pope's Exorcist. I don't, I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous movie, but. Uh, well, <laughs> come on. <laughs> All right, we got to talk about the Rustin trailer because there are pros and cons to yes. this trailer. Pros, the music, no more teardrops. Loved, yeah. loved the score to this trailer. Very good. All right, antagonism coming from all corners, including you know the Chris Rock characters, uh, you know monologues here, the uh, Jeffrey Wright character, opposition from his own community, from inside of his own party. Uh, Martin Luther King is very hesitant to join the march, so there's there's major hurdles for Bayard Rushton to to get over. It's almost it's one of those stories that if happens in real life, someone would say, well, Hollywood wouldn't even write the script about it, because mm-hmm. if this were a fake person, you're telling me during the civil rights movement, the guy that has to convince Martin Luther King to take the take the march on Washington and show up and have all these people show up. He's he's fighting against, you know, racism. He's fighting against uh, fighting for his homosexuality right. representation. Right. Like it's it's too many negatives at one time. It wouldn't be done by Hollywood. And yet this guy actually had to go through it. It's unbelievable. He had to do it. And they might have overstuffed the trailer. We'll get to that. But I, I am fascinated by this true story. And, and there's so much intriguing kernels just laid out here. Uh, for us to pick up the fact that they organized this in eight weeks so we're obviously mm-hmm. going to get this whirlwind of you know the the procedural of setting up the march on washington and how they did it uh and then you get like his personal life glimpses of his personal life behind the scenes which i thought were strong points of this wrestling yeah. trailer they the, the guy calls him irrelevant at the party and he goes it's friday night i've been called worse <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah, it was good uh, and then he said, you know, he just put it to somebody at the end of the, at the end of the trailer. He's like, they either believe in freedom and justice for all or, or they do not spelling it out for somebody, which I loved as well. Now, th- you know, that's an on the nose line to a degree, but it's it's fascinating how he worded it and, and put put it to somebody and you're, you're stepping to somebody when you do that. The writing felt very on the nose for a lot of the rest of this trailer. I worry. I because trailers can be just giant expo dumps in general, Mike, right? I mean, we've seen this a hundred times. Especially for if you're doing a biopic from a big studio about a historical figure who isn't that well known, I would argue. I mean, yes. I'm, I'm, but like, compare when you think of the civil rights movement, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. are the two biggest names. Like, Baird Rustin is, is a couple levels deep, I would think, in any layperson's mind. So, whoever, if, if he's there at all, 
whoever cut this trailer may have kind of overstepped and tried to overstuff the trailer with yeah. too many facts because it really came on too too fast here and it wasn't great. But I also wonder if it – I don't disagree because I had the same hesitancy and I said we wrote these at different times in the doc and I had the same cons. The on the nose is very much the con of this, but I also don't know if it matters because of how relevant the stories that – and the – you know, the – resistance Bayard Rustin's going to be facing in this movie are to today's 2023, uh, what's the, the conversation, social conversations, right. political conversations. And let's be honest, when you actually blend these big speeches into your movie, you get Oppenheimer sometimes. And, and I, I co- yeah. completely did a 180 on the Matt Damon characters on the noseness from the Oppenheimer trailers. And when we, when we actually seen his character and, and, and those scenes flushed out, they worked great, so um, that's my hope with Rustin, and I have a lot of confidence coming away from these first reactions that it's true. That being said, couple couple things that bothered me, like the Chris Rock makeup and hair bothered me, but but that's probably just because he never lets his hair go white like that. He's never gray. <laughs> it's also going to be, it was abrasive to see Chris Rock as a bad guy. Mm. <laughs> I that was, was strange. not ready for that. Yeah. A gray-haired bad guy. It was, yeah. it was a different. He went. Yeah, I mean, good for him for spreading his wings and getting the chance. But you know, just like you're supposed to be making me laugh. <laughs> and then the production design, like it felt a little green screened at times. Now Netflix oh, okay. usually does a nice job with this. Ma Rainey's clearly on a green screen at times because they they made it a very theatrical set. Uh, you know, and we, we, we saw that like in the streets and whatnot. I mean, they, they, they blended in at the end of the day. So it's an early trailer. I'm, 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 I'm talking a lot of these things away because of the reception. Let's be honest. And this, this reception is fantastic. So I'm guessing things work for people, right? We are, we review what 20 to 25 movies singularly a year that are, that have Oscars aspirations. Right. This is going to be one of them, right? So. It has to be. Absolutely. No matter so how we'll down we are it. on the trailer, uh, it doesn't. I mean, this is going to be one of the 20, 25 films we give an entire episode to. Definitely. All right. So, All of Us Strangers is kind of the last big uh, talking point from Telluride's Night One. 100% Rotten Tomatoes score right now on eight reviews. And look at this, Michael. David Ehrlich of IndieWire. He says, All of Us Strangers, <laughs> colon, another year, another hushed and haunting nuclear-grade tearjerker starring Paul Mescal, after last year's After Sun, of course. Andrew Haig's achingly tender, emotionally shattering ghost story is one of the very best films of the year. This man... David Ehrlich must walk around with just a regular thesaurus, and then on the other hand has a thesaurus (laughs) for negative words. <laughs> like how to insult people, thesaurus, or how to be a cynic, thesaurus. Yeah, that's great, but I'm much more interested in the review than I am the movie at this point. Uh, yeah, I do. I do want to read this full review. I I'm just using the pull quote myself here, but I love the pull quote, and uh, I'm I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of this project. I'm going to see it at the New York Film Festival now. Uh, that this there's no denying. Good. I was torn between two movies, and I'm going to buy tickets for this one now, uh, or reserve make my reservation I already bought the darn tickets but all right we have a luxuriantly sad and skin tingly 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 can't even say it oh my god sensual gay romance uh it is propelled by a killer combination of 80s queer pop and a pair of devastating performances from scott and mescal that was a terrible reading by me of wendy ides 
uh, review pull quote there from Screen International for all of us strangers. So, 80 square pop is a phrase. Yeah. I've never I, heard that before. I think, uh, I, I think this is an important year uh, for 80s queer pop, especially after watching uh, Blue Jean. Okay. One of my favorite movies of the year thus far. <laughs> hell of a hell of a uh, beefa presence from from two years ago. By the way, that I, I that I forgot unfortunately in our fake betting, which we're not doing today because today's yeah, too, too much, too way much too many movies yeah. to talk about. All right. Uh, as for some early Teller, Telluride awards analysis from the two largest trades, Scott Feinberg touted Payne and Giamatti of the Holdovers. He touted Emerald Fennell and Barry Keoghan of Saltburn. And Jody Comer of the Bike Riders, all of, all as serious contenders in, in three separate We're due pieces. Soon, Clayton right? Davis. For the first forecast, I would think, with the Emmys. Kind of, oh, I guess, I mean, I know the Emmys got delayed, but. I don't know. I don't know September, when September, I thought, was usually the September, October, no? I, I miss them. Yeah, my only, but that's my the only problem. purpose in episodes this year, like this is to try to bring it to a grinding halt as quickly as possible. Listen, when Scott, you're in flow. yeah, you know what? Just flummox <laughs> me every chance you get. But Scott is at a weird spot right now because, you, like you said, the Emmys yeah. have been pushed. He typically has this, I, I'm pretty sure it's connected to the cycles of the moon, his predictions. It's, <laughs> is he... Opening the intestines Just of animals, sitting on top of a ward's mountain in his dojo, there <laughs> meditating as it comes to him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what he does. We've tried to figure out his uh, whatever he does. He does it right so often. Anyway, Clayton Davis of Variety, like we said, has also praised. Uh, Coleman Domingo of Rustin, he wrote a tremendous piece just banging the table for that performance. Better not be snubbed, he said, especially after last year's snubs. Uh, and and I, I, would, I would hope he's correct. And then certainly uh, he also praised Comer as well from the bike riders. But Clayton added that Tom Hardy and Austin Butler could very well be in play. Uh, I in, wish in you addition. could see the size of my smile right now. <laughs> There you go. You got you all. Listen, this isn't a bit. You all need to hope bike riders doesn't make noise. You have to, because I'm going to be insufferable. This isn't once upon a time in Hollywood where it needed to win Best Picture. To I, ju- this just needs to show up for nomination for me to be proven right. Mm-hmm. You've been on the bike riders. I think the. All right. Yeah, Dating I'm just gonna leave it there again. Right it's like if I keep oh, talking to you about it, nipples. This. <laughs> This conversation will never end. All right. <laughs> Matt Neglia, Sasha Stone, I also want to shout out. I love their post-tweets because they'll they'll throw out the tweet of the review. They'll do their thing there. And then Matt will, like, say, oh, film editing for the holdovers. <laughs> amongst other, amongst the list of other things that could possibly be Oscar-worthy. The film editing thing stru- struck out from, uh, or stuck out to me. And then Sasha Stone's always like, hey, the holdover's gonna play for this old academy, and she's given, like, multiple tweet threads on, on what's going on, uh, wh- or what she think may happen, and she's prognosticating forward. So, check their Twitter feeds out for certain. Good job by them. There you go. Good job by you for getting through that with not not stuttering your way through like I just did with that sentence. Uh, let's move from Telluride to the Venice Film Festival, which also opened Commandant, Commandante. We, talk, we talked about that. We previewed it. We said it was the opening night film. Uh, only a 90-second standing ovation, which, by the way, mm. there's been a controversy already about uh, standing ovations, which is why, again, we, just, we do this yearly thing as the unofficial official standing ovation awards records keepers. Uh, you, you need us there. 
There was Variety said that the Maz, or the, I'm sorry, the Ferrari standing ovation was only six minutes, and then somebody mm-hmm. else said it was seven and a half. How do you miss it by the length of which Commandante standing ovation was? Right, like major <laughs> trades were saying seven and a half minutes. Yeah. Like, how do you screw up ninety seconds? I don't understand that, but yeah, a ninety second standing ovation at Venice, like we said, the five minute mark is usually <laughs> your your. You're not worthy of being made a film. But so 90 seconds, kind of a red flag in the, the early reviews. Maybe back that up. Per Ram Institute, a variety Twitter reviews started solid but dipped. When they hit Rotten Tomatoes officially, it's sitting at a 38% right now on Rotten Tomatoes. Regardless, there's no replacing Zendaya, yeah. Josh, Mike, Tennis, and Sex. That's right. I always say. You've been right. saying that for years. Venice Day 2. Did a little better for critical receptions. Michael Mann's Ferrari debuted to an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. 26 reviewers chimed in there. But this might be a soft 81%, Michael, because some of these reviews are like backhanded compliments. And look at six minutes is only one minute over right, the that's five true. minute. That's true. That's really only a one minute standing ovation. That's a great way to look at it. Yes. So that's what I'm taking from this, mm-hmm. and therefore it is our deduction that Ferrari might be a good movie, but it probably is a good movie, but it's not a great movie because it's only one minute of standing applause, just mm-hmm. rapturous standing applause, only one minute over, you know, five minutes. How many sandwiches do you think you can make in five minutes? What if kind you had of all sand- the ingredients what kind laid out of sandwiches in front of you? Are we talking? Uh, we'll talk basic ham and cheese just on white bread. All I am, the ingredients are on the countertop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can make, like, four or five. But, like, I'm not the I'm not the guy that, make, that, that crafts the sandwich. I want I want people to make sandwiches for me. Can yeah, I just I, I, right, yeah, be that, very clear about this? There's one stance that we have taken here on MMO since the inception, and it's that we want people to make sandwiches for us. I don't want to eat my sandwiches <laughs> that, right. all that much. I mean, you know, okay. I actually literally have that stance on salad. If you make a salad at home, it is always, always, always going to be shit compared to any salad you can get anywhere else in life. I have yeah. I sincerely held that belief for about 20 years. Because it's true. You yeah. know what else is true about salads is that yeah. you need a big bowl to toss oh, yeah. it with. Yeah. yeah. I don't have point. any of those. Right. I don't know about you. I don't have no. any of those. Well, I mean, I have them, but I, I again, I'm not making salads at home anymore. <laughs> If ever I have a salad at home, it's like a Greek diner salad. Exactly, yeah. Grown. I'll pick it up. I will go out to get a salad made and overpriced by to me and bring yeah. it home to eat it, but I will not make a salad anymore. Totally agree. And this is why people keep listening to us. <laughs> they they want, Just nodding at home. This is the confirmation bias they, they get it's today. It's the content right. they expected when they had our Telluride Venice Film Festival. Ferrari reviews, Michael. <laughs> You're up. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let's talk about this. Speaking of olive oil and salad dressing, a well-oiled biopic with clean lines and performances, but it lacks a certain something under the hood to really make it fly. That's Jane Crowther of Total Film. Josh Parnum of Next Best Picture weighs in. Ferrari works best as an examination of fierce ambition that propels a determined mindset. Great words there. Man crafts engaging drama and spectacle, but the script lacks a stronger emotional core. Driver's stoic yet fragile presence is effective, but crew steals it all with a fiery performance that seemed to be a theme that kept popping up every uh, ferrari review i read was how great penelope cruz was yeah there is an unstoppable force at the center of michael mann's ferrari it is fast fierce and wildly unpredictable one moment it has you in the throes of ecstasy the next fearing for your life 
I'm talking, of course, about Penelope Cruz, and that comes from Marlo Stern of Rolling Stone. Got him! Yeah. I love, uh, I love the Gotheem uh, reviews, the especially when yep. Rotten Tomatoes pulls them. That's great. All right, so Ferrari released a trailer. Now, just the rising score and the sound design here makes this Oscar for me. Score? Uh, uh, good God. I'm not even going to edit that out. That's how scatterbrained we are. That's you're, you're the, that's a genuine reaction for me is those words of nonsense and moaning. What I was going to say, sound is going to be a crazy category this year. Mm. It's loaded already. We yeah. know that. But Dune is out. Yeah. Dune is now out. Mm-hmm. So Ferrari could be in. Could be. And, and we know that branch. They love themselves some cars. They love themselves some cars. Do they mm-hmm. love themselves some motorcycles? That is a good we can only hope. We can only hope. Anyway, we have clear drama regarding uh, Ferrari's love life. Uh, he's got a family with Pe- the Penelope Cruz character, and what seems to be an ongoing affair with the Shailene Woodley character. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do know some of the Ferrari storyline after Ford v Ferrari from a couple years ago with Bale and and uh, and Affleck, Bale and uh, Damon. Damon. Oh yeah, my God! Yeah. See, it's pitting both of us. The it old manness. We're doing our best to get this one episode out this week for a reason. <laughs> but Ferrari had that like incredible streak at Le Mans until you know Ford finally beat him with the help of Batman and the Martian. So. Yes, that's that is how that movie went. I saw some stuff about Michael Mann using using actual sounds of vintage cars. Nice. For the sounds of the engines in this movie, including that he teamed up with the drummer from Pink Floyd, Nick Mason, to get sounds directly from Mason's own Maserati. Nice. So, this, like I said, sound this year I think is really going to be something to watch. I think we're going to have seven or eight legitimate contenders for nominees. And I got to be honest, I like the sound of the accent. I'm not going to re- reprise it here, but uh, <laughs> if you get into one of my cars, you get into win. I believe is what he said. <laughs> Is that exa- was that verbatim? Was that a recording? I can't. I'm having trouble. <laughs> he had all of House of Gucci to get ready, didn't he? he had all of it to get ready. So he used that as a warm up lap. You think is what you're saying? He used the House of Gucci to perfect the Italian accent for Ferrari. That's right. Okay. He's not uh, an Italian. Is he Italian? A, I don't even know. We have a follower on Instagram, uh, Jen Sopchak Chai. I hope I pronounced oh. that right. Okay. Who was. Uh, she weighed in on us uh, last night. She was just like, why do we keep asking Adam Driver to do Italian accents? It's like, well, it's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to make of it. It could be good. It could be bad. I, apparently, it's a stoic performance, though, from Driver. From a lot of people are saying that he's very even-handed. So it's not going to be the big showy House of Gucci, one. by the way. Yeah. He was relative, I mean, especially compared to Lady Gaga's character anyway, but... Pretty reserved in that. There was, like we said, a lot of noise about Penelope Cruz being a potential Oscars player for supporting actress. I think you called that in the 75% accurate prediction show we did last month. Did you not? Yeah. A wide open category, by the way. Uh, Lily Gladstone, does she go lead? Does she go supporting? She's been the early front runner. But, uh, yeah, Penelope Cruz could, could swoop in here. No question. Ryan Latanzio from IndieWire had a headline that I really liked about Penelope Cruz being a force at the center of this. Penelope Cruz steals the wheel from Adam Driver's automaker in Michael Mann's racing opera. 
That is a right. loaded headline. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right. We'll continue with Venice here. Go faster. We had El Conde, a.k.a. The Count, Pablo Lorraine's uh, Pinochet as Dracula satire. Hollywood did lose the same movies. Yep. That's right. It did lose a best international feature race in Chile to the Settlers, uh, which I believe is a, a correct pronunciation. Settlers. Anyway, uh, Michael. That was a surprise to me. I thought for sure this was going to be the more Oscar. It was big, big name director of Spencer and Jackie. But no, uh, it still did very well with, with critics. 84% on 25 reviews. 71 Metascore already from El Conde. Political farce as darkly funny uh, of a vampire horror offering an inventive take on why despots keep sinking their fangs into the world that's david rooney of the hollywood reporter and then ice cold and darkly funny with the lion's share of the film's humor stemming from its cruelty el conde is heavy on premise and light on plot that is uh the the kind of high octane I'm still in the Ferrari reviews. High concept history <laughs> play that squeezes as much from a single idea as it can. There's a backhanded compliment. I was waiting for it. David Ehrlich of IndieWire. We should just do an Ehrlich episode. His tweet <laughs> that you retweeted on, our, on the MMO account, by the way, is, is a thousand times better than that review. El Conde, oh, really? Pablo Lorraine's slight but amusingly fanged satire imagines Pinochet as an immortal vampire who can't stand that everyone hates him now. A solid addition to the die, 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 I can't subgenre. <laughs> Didn't even know that was a subgenre, but I, I'll stand by it now. <laughs> I love... That he loves forgetting Sarah Marshall as much as we do. That's, I, I want to know this guy. All right, we got to ask David Ehrlich on the show. That has to happen. All right. We have to ask only to be rejected. There's no way. Yeah, there's okay. no way. There's no way. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you're right. Safe. We're just going to ask. All right. We, we yeah. will ask. All right. The Promised Land was also uh, uh, the Mads Mickelson debut today. I think it got its gala today, but it's press screenings yesterday. Anyway. The stories and characters may house some familiar archetypes, but they are beautifully rendered. The performances are all exceptional, and the filmmaking amplifies the setting to a level that is greatly appreciated. That's uh, Josh Parnham doing the rounds in Venice this year for mm. next Best Picture. And by the way, The Promised Land is Mads Mikkelsen uh, from the director of The Royal Affair, where we have uh, some Oscars history from this director. We'll get into it when we review the trailer in a second. Manuel Salbento. The Promised Land is a captivating self-discovery journey led by a phenomenal Mads Mikkelsen, beautifully shot and scored. This is the movie from Nikolai Arcel, who directed A Royal Affair, a writer uh, of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the original Swedish one. Mads mm. Mikkelsen's in this. Uh, he's building a settlement, I guess? This trailer was king? gross. It was gross because of a few moments, like... Yeah, but that's Ugh. what made it stand out to me. Yeah, well, you're gross. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. The story of Ludwig Kalin, who pursued his lifelong dream to make the Heath bring him wealth and honor. I don't know what the Heath is. I'm guessing that's a major land settlement. That's what they kept there. saying throughout the trailer. You're doing this for the Heath. The Heath is, you know, your damn heat vision of your Heath, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, the make his home? I'm so confused. I think it's just anyway, a plot of I'm land. not a learned man. Yeah. Anyway, that's why... I, uh, all right. I'm not going to neg myself this, this entire episode. <laughs> this was aggravating because he's building an effing settlement in the middle of some wilderness. So, I mean, you know you're going in for that, right? You're going in for this grueling process like the beginning of There Will Be Blood, I'm guessing. Yeah. Look, 
I wasn't impressed with the first. This looked like any other international feature period piece trailer for the first minute or so. And I wasn't and crazy the, about it. And then the torture. The, well, this they do this thing where they build this human-sized cave. Oh, you don't have to describe the dump torture. a giant thing of boiling oh, water over it. I know. I audibly exclaimed when I, I was like, I just did not see that coming. I was like, oh, what do we got here? Yeah. Uh, and then you go on. There's some very pretty shots, very aesthetically pretty. Very, I thought, uh, Charlie Kaufman-esque shots where you have just the focus in the spotlight and everything else is dark surrounding it or at least one palette surrounding it, mm. one color surrounding it in the background. So there's nothing to focus on but what's happening in the center of the screen. Um, very dreamlike. Very, uh, yeah. Just very pretty. Interesting pull by you there. I, yeah, Thank I don't know what to make of the promised land. I, I'm afraid of it, though. There's no question about that. It looks yucky. Yeah. But it's probably good. I uh, I like that torture scene. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Poor Things. Poor Things is going to be the next big story from Festival First Reaction Weekend. We don't necessarily know these first reactions yet. We're they, recording. they came out minutes ago, Mike. I just got the Bef- first one in my inbox. For the embargo. All right, well, let me let me discuss with you the pre-embargo reactions because there's major Oscar buzz, right? And the term masterpiece is being thrown around, again, by all of like these major trades. And then there are a ton of stories in those trades that it's, it's basically porn. So my brother and I have had Poor Things as our number one target at the New York Film Festival to the point where we're, we got a group ready to go see it. And I talked to him about this re, you know, this first reaction today, and his, hand, his answer was this. So it's a porn masterpiece. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I guess. And he's like, well, that's the best reception we could have hoped for. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm. I'm now. I'm waiting with bated breath. What are these first reactions? What are, what are you uh, I'll just read you the headline. The first one I see here from the Hollywood Reporter, David Rooney. Poor things review. Emma Stone is stupendous as a reanimated woman reinventing herself in Yorgos Lanthimos's fantastical odyssey. The subheading: Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, and Rami Youssef also star in genre-defying film that starts as an absurdist comedy but evolves into an unconventional reflection on female freedom. Wow. So. Look, there was a pull quote. I didn't write it. I, I should have copied it into the doc. Yorgos Lanthimos basically said that Emma Stone had to be okay quickly with essentially graphic sex or sim- graphic simulated sex or something like that. I think this is going to be a very polarizing movie to the extent that I would be... Look, I don't know. Maybe it'll it'll shock me and, and end up in, as an Oscars talking thing. But th- there's been so much sex <laughs> surrounding this that I have trouble envisioning this is an Oscars player, but who knows? we got to wait to see it, I guess. I've been very hesitant yeah. to think a lot of poor things up till now, to the point where I've, I've had it on some predictions and I pulled it off quickly, and then yeah. I put it back. I can't remember now if I stuck with Willem Dafoe. I definitely didn't stick with Emma Stone, I don't think, even though now it looks like, yeah, she's 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 going for it. But apparently the book is just porn, and now the movie is Good. as well. And yeah. and look at a lot of prudish people out there and uh, will uh, will not like it. I mean, just look at the Oppenheimer you know, scenes, even though that's, you know, probably a different world. Just, I, I'm glad Yorgos Lanthimos can be the person to bring porn into the mainstream of cinema. You and my brother. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you should come. We should just have one big 
corny New York Film Festival day. Uh, let's look at the rest of the schedule from Venice real quick. Uh, we have Maestro and Ag- Agro Drift. That's going to be Saturday. The Killer, the Kane Mutiny Court Martial is Sunday. Monday is Priscilla. Tuesday is Hitman. Wednesday is Origin. Ava DuVernay, she's going to ex- accept a, a major award there, Inspiration Award. And then uh, the ninth is Memory with Jessica Chastain heading back. I hope, Hopefully somebody kisses her arm. I think... Uh, <laughs> I think Venice has got a lot to say yet about this race, even though they're. What is that from? Who? What do you? Who kissed her arm? Oscar Isaac. The, That's the, right. The, uh, the reason for this podcast was that Harold and Maude? Was what was that? What scenes from a marriage? What was what scenes was from a marriage? <laughs> How did you confuse Harold and Maude with scene Igmar Bergman's remake? Been a long week. <laughs> it has been a long week. All right, let's discuss quickly the lineup. <laughs> For the BFI London Film Festival, Michael. Yeah. (laughs) Powering through your giggles. (laughs) Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget was uh, previously announced. Of course, they led with that. But we have some headline galas for the BFI London Film Fest. Saltburn is getting opening night. And then closing night, we have a new entrant into the arena, The Kitchen. The directorial debut of Daniel Kaluuya and the film The Kitchen stars Top Boy star Kane Robinson. Got a premise here. London 2040, rising house prices, computerized labor, and eradication of the welfare state has turned the city into a billionaire's playground. Perish the thought. That could never happen. Uh, Pushing (laughs) the lower classes to provincial empty slum-like high-rises in the kitchen. Ex-smash-and-grabber Izzy is desperate to go straight, but when his young son contracts a devastating illness, he is forced to take part in a heist that will change the lives of everyone in the kitchen forever. Some some John Q-type vibes there. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested. And Daniel Kaluuya kind of jumped onto the scene with me from that Black Mirror episode. Yeah, remember that? A lot that of was people. a big deal, yeah. right? I, I, I can't remember if he was in something before that, but I, uh, it was stunning how good he was in that Black Mirror episode. So that's cool that we got like a dystopian sci-fi premise for his directorial debut. That, that was sense. on Netflix. This one's going to be on Netflix for his directorial debut as well. Full circles type stuff there. Entering the film festivals at BFI London. I'm not sure actually if One Life is going to TIFF or if One Life is just starting at uh, London, but... I noticed One Life being here, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Like I said, the Bike Riders, this actually came out before the Telluride lineup was announced, so I thought the Bike Riders was its first you know, opening, but uh, c'est la vie. The Book of Clarence. The Book of Clarence looks like it's having its premiere at BFI London. And Les Indesirables from Laj Lee of uh, Les Miserables, the Oscar-nominated Les Miserables, with a premise that reads, A local activist and a budding young mayor clash over the best path forward for their impoverished suburb. Certainly, if not a companion piece, then a follow-up to Les Miserables from Lodge Lee. So that makes some sense. Otherwise, Michael, we have all of us strangers, the boy and the heron, foe, hitman, the killer, maestro, May, December, memory, naiad, poor things, Priscilla, the zone of interest, all going to London, as well as Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, Killers of the Flower Moon has updated its release strategy, Michael. What do you make of Killers of the Flower Moon skipping any platform release, going wide only on October 20th? Uh, uh, no, sir, I, I'm, I'm dead serious about that take. I don't know what to make of this. Like, like Joking aside, so 
my first instinct is to say this is just part of Apple's plan, and I know it's Paramount handling the, the distribution, right, theatrically, but Apple putting a billion dollars into into theaters and wanting to have a presence there and create themselves as a serious studio, yada, 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 stuff we've talked about a billion times on this. So my first instinct is to say that's what it is and that they have, it's Scorsese and they have enough faith in it to be a great thing that they want to dump it all at once. That's the positive. That's the optimistic outlook. The cynical outlook would be they don't want anyone to really get their hands on it any more than already has happened. And they're not pleased with the uh, the critic Well, the first critics looks. loved it, though. The critics loved it, but maybe... They loved they... it, but it's not like, oh my God, this is the best picture. Well, maybe they outed the film as being uh, tough to watch, like a lot of Scorsese films Could be. are. Yeah. So that's it's not necessarily yeah, a but, crowd right. That wouldn't be a that wouldn't be a. I mean, that's what Martin Scorsese does. Right. We could still love it. It's just going to be effed up and crazy. We know that, right? What's your What's your take? What's your instinct to say? Well, here's the story that came on the backs of this one about the middle of October that has really drawn my eye. Taylor Swift's era's tour concert film has been announced that was great that turned everybody on their heads and everybody was pissed according to indy wire <laughs> and this taylor swift concert film is dropping in the middle of october on the 13th for a wide release and it has sold a record 26 million in movie ticket pre-sales for amc alone it just bumped oppenheimer as the record holder for amc's early sales this number is going to get huge and nobody knew about that it was coming out except no studios uh were aware of its presence amc was the only one uh apparently just perusing some of the articles uh, amc and a few other outlets knew about this movie's existence wow. uh, to the point where the exorcist movie moved just off its moved. date completely turned tail and ran up to October 6th, which has been vacated by Killers of the Flower Moon, at least in a limited yeah. way. And now October 6th will be the home of The Exorcist Believer for its wide release. It can't be something that they're thrilled about because that means they're pushing further away from Halloween, right? How dare The Exorcist? After all the success Barbenheimer just did, you're telling me we couldn't come up with a slang word for a Taylor Swift Exorcist movie? Double feature? Hey, there you go. Now, all right, Gen Z. <laughs> the, the, the three of you that listen you have a job if it was justin bieber's movie i mean that it writes itself exorcist believer <laughs> there you go that's perfect <laughs> uh but it's but it's not ah, we're dorks okay sirrah sirrah all right i i don't know what to make of it i just I, I i'm excited for movie theaters getting a big big play there uh, they need the money. Uh, they will need the money after September, is my guess. Well, that was the the reason for the outrage too, and why all the studios were like, "What the fuck? Like this movie's mm. gonna make money." That Eras tour is already. I think it's the most successful tour of all time. I was reading by, or it's at least in the top whatever. Over a billion dollars generated. She's I doing heard. okay for herself. I think she's got a future in the entertainment industry. Oh my god! So yeah, I mean, this movie's gonna make. 500 million at the box office i mean we're talking like tentpole stuff with these pre-sales no i didn't look up what uh what the highest grossing concert we've had a couple of these concert films in the past katie perry had one justin bieber had one i gotta imagine this is gonna smash everything this is gonna smash yeah anyway bfi london in competition highlights we got earth mama from a24 evil does not exist which i'm gonna see at the new york film festival ryosuke hamaguchi fingernails we're gonna discuss the trailer at some point riz ahmed jesse buckley the royal hotel we've been talking about the royal hotel being a sequel for cocktail i don't think it is from kitty green <laughs> uh julia gardner jessica henwick 
I talked about it. it was funny in context, and now I don't even remember that joke. Not so funny. It was funny. It was funny. I was funny one time. I was. Okay. Well, and th- that was it. the one time. That was Never the one time. Never seen the evidence of it. But. The Royal Hotel. There was this one time <laughs> where I was like, the Royal Hotel. You remember cocktail? <laughs> remember Tom Cruise at cocktail? What if the Royal Hotel was a sequel to cocktail? It's, uh, it, it was uh, the moment of That's my right. life. That does sound like you. I got to say. It was so good. <laughs> everybody laughed. By everybody, I mean you and me uh-huh. and our moms. Oh, good. Good. All right, Tiger Stripes also going to be a Five London Can Critics Week winner. Kid turns into a tiger horror movie. Can't wait. Amanda Neal, you, the director there. Tuesday. We've been talking about Tuesday for like four years now. This yeah, is A24's <laughs> Julia Louis Dreyfus Mother Daughter Fairy Tale. And it's dropping this year. And then we have Chasing Chasing Amy, which is I believe the filmmakers may a culpa about learning from the Chasing Amy issues. And those are the films that stuck out to me in the BFI London in competition highlights. Chasing Chasing Amy was also a Tribeca. I missed it, though, so I'll have to catch up with it. Does that have anything to do with Kevin Smith? He's, I believe he's a talking head in the documentary, like admitting why it was homophobic and, huh. yeah, and trying to learn from it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe I put the worst words in somebody's mouth. Maybe it was. I, I don't know. I don't. I can't. I saw Chasing Amy once. I never. I. I just despised it. It wasn't. A big I don't Kevin think I've Smith ever guy. seen it. I saw it once in college. I kind of. I don't know. Like I said, it's left my brain. Like so many other things. Mm-hmm. We, we have some Oscar trailers though, Mike. We got a lot of trailers to get through here. Let's start with the killer in theaters on the twenty seventh of October. It's going to hit Netflix on the tenth of November. Fight Club feel for this David Fincher movie. Pacing is is nuts in this teaser. I mean, is the movie paced like that? There's no way. But I mean, it might be a high paced Fincher film, which I which I love. I love it when he's montage heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the voiceover narration, stick to the plan, trust no one, forbid empathy, back and forth and back of the repetition of that typically works well. I mean, you're gonna you got glimpses of Tilda Swinton, Charles Parnell in the cast, but it's mostly Michael Fassbender breaking phones, doing yoga, and then, you know, multiple murders <laughs> shown in the trailer. <laughs> My God, uh the film ends <laughs> the film ends or the trailer ends with the term oh simple mm-hmm. <laughs> just like after all that. I, I I really like this. You didn't seem to uh, be on the same wavelength with me I here. I think I'm just sour that it's not an Oscars type movie like I was hoping for. I don't know is are we getting Fincher's spy movie? Is that what this is? This is his take on like a more gritty James it's Bond if you could do it. This is his assassin movie. He's making a movie mm-hmm. about this uh this graphic novel these comic books with this long i mean this is a long story apparently there's how many comics for the killer's story it certainly looks like classic venture it's got that kind of lens over it that opaqueness it's various venture aesthetic you can see it there but like i said i mean i'm sure it'll be entertaining i was just hoping that it could make its way into the oscars conversation it doesn't look like that's going to happen a lot of his earlier. I'm more work, sour than I should be. Wasn't? Yeah, you. I, th- I thought this would be in your wheelhouse. Like, yeah. I'm a big fan of the marketing too. Like that watercolor poster is wild. The gun in our faces, Jesus, scary. I love the crazy, you know, montage teaser here. I don't know. I I, I would agree with you. Like assassin movies don't scream Oscar. However, No Country for Old Men. You know, you never my know. least favorite Best Picture winner ever. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but 
it, it could be No Country for Old Men in terms of Oscars, or it could be The American in terms of Oscars, which I thought was a solid movie from George Clooney there, but no Oscars, right? So Yeah. I, I, I suck, is the... Uh, You're the bit... There. This is a grudge... Because you predicted it for 10 Oscars? That's probably what it is. Well, I don't know about 10, but yeah, that's probably what it is. All right. The Book of Clarence next trailer here in theaters January 12th. I'm so perplexed by that release date to, to a degree. Written and directed by James Samuels of The Harder They Fall. Lakeith Stanfield, RJ Kyler. What a cast this is. Michael, we're not getting a parallel story to the New Testament here. I thought we were. I thought this was going to be like some reimagining and it was going to dance on like open heresy but it's not this is like pat post easter sunday and you have the quote-unquote clear false prophet of lakeith stanfield trying to stage all of these you know post-christ messianic things going on because he wants the notoriety so it seems much more like a morality tale with a religious context which may not alienate religious people and now i wonder if this movie can actually be successful because i was worried about it i I was worried about them being in a quagmire where the religious audience would not see it and then the anti-religious audience would not see it but maybe there's a olive branch with the trailer or what do you think it's got grand scale and it's not over i mean it's it is i don't know i was gonna say it's not overly religious but it obviously is but uh, yeah it's not like it's not a typical religious type movie, which I guess if James, you would expect as much from James Samuel in this cast. Like Keith Stanfield, Omar Sy, David Yellowo, uh, James McAvoy's in this, Benedict Cumberbatch is in this. It's a huge, huge, sprawling cast and a huge, huge, sprawling scale for this type of movie. MMO it's, favorites, Alfre Woodard and Tiana mm-hmm. Taylor. Yeah, Michael it's Ward. interesting looking for sure. Everything James Samuel has done has been interesting looking to us. So this falls kind of right in line. July 12th. Why July 12th? January 12th. January 12th. Yeah. Excuse me. They wanted to celebrate my birthday. We've been over this. I'm very confused about calendar issues. We've we established <laughs> this in the last episode. Let's move on to Invisible Beauty. We were hoping for a documentary feature contender in the middle of September because God September. 9-15 from Magnolia, Magnolia Pictures debuted at Sundance. Fashion revolutionary Beth Ann Hardison looks back on her journey as a pioneering black model, modeling agent and activist, shining a light on an untold chapter in the fight for racial diversity some great quotes in this trailer, Michael. And, like, I'm fascinated to know her life story. I mean, she, good God, how many chapters in her life she took making a huge impact, forming the Black Girls Coalition, you know, mm. being this transcendent star of the time. And then you have Naomi Candle, Campbell, excuse me, Zendaya, Tracy Ellis Ross, Tyson Beckford. All of these talking heads with huge cachet in the fashion and entertainment world in this doc. I feel like, and I'm sure this has always happened, and it just took me this long to get wise to it, but every independent film has been so socially angled and social-facing and political-facing lately. Uh, This falls right in line. I mean, obviously dealing with issues of racism and sexism and all types of stuff, having to deal with... uh, getting black women into the modeling industry and having them have a voice there. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad for it, but I can't remember a time. I, I feel like this is more politically motivated, socially motivated for independent films than it has been in years past, even doing MMO. I think you have 
not watched enough independent films because like I said, I'm, I'm probably late to the game there, so it wouldn't surprise me. But it's like every independent movie ever, Mike. I mean, they they're on the progressive cutting edge all the time. Yeah? I mean, all right, yeah, you all should right. go to. I'll wait till we talk about cat this people for you to be. talk about this. Okay, well, this might be your draw into the film festival circuit or into the. You know, you've just been burned a few times. I think is my guess. A few independent films have really burned you. Parasites sucked. No, you <laughs> stop it. Don't bring Parasite into this. Oh, how could you? All right, Fingernails. Fingernails is the next movie we got to talk about. Apple TV Plus on November 3rd in theaters a week earlier. This trailer was basically a clip. It wasn't a trailer. Yeah, it was a 69-second clip. Jesse Buckley's in a waiting room for this future li- futuristic love connection service, and she's filling out forms on a clipboard and then she asks is it raining outside and the attendant there is like well rain sounds are pumped in to make people feel more romantic and then the attendant's like i wish they would stop doing that it just makes me have to pee (laughs) (laughs) so jesse buckley plays anna who increasingly suspects that her relationship with her longtime partner may not actually be the real thing in an attempt to improve things she secretly embarks on a new assignment working at a mysterious institute designed to incite and test the presence of romantic love in increasingly desperate couples there isn't a lot here it literally just takes place in an office or a waiting room in this clip but jesse Mm -hmm. buckley is entering that mary elizabeth winstead rebecca hall territory with me because anytime she's on screen I just know some really messed up stuff is about to happen to her character. It's a young Ann Dowd. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe with less harbinger of doom that Ann Dowd has perfected over the years. Okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm in for this. I'm in for it, too. I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, that was Fingernails. We'll move on to Society of the Snow. This will be the closing night film at Venice. It is heading to Netflix, co-written and directed by J.A. Bayona of The Impossible, most notably, because this is another disaster film that he's done very well with, uh, You know, citing The Impossible, but The Orphanage, The Rings of Power. This is the true story about the 1972 Miracle of the Andy's Society of the Snow. It is scary how accurate. I mean, those are the the famous pictures of those survivors who had to resort to cannibalism, and they've been they're unbelievable story there. Um, but about the the famous plane crash, and there's a very very famous set of photos from those survivors on the mountain during their time there when they thought they were abandoned, and the accuracy with which this trailer recreates those photos is insane. Complete with like the slight lens flare and that faded coloring from the the old 1970s Polaroid cameras there. Uh, Really phenomenal artistic job. Every year, there's got to be one cannibal movie (laughs) at Venice. Well, this one's true, at least. (laughs) This one's true. At least, you're right. Uh, The picture-taking motif of of the trailer was was captivating. I I, I love that. The overhead shots in the wilderness, they're scary. And then they, I mean, this guy's a great filmmaker. Jay Bayona. Mm-hmm. I mean, from from when I was a kid. I gotta watch his to... stuff. You're right. I, it's all highly rated, uh, a C, highly rated CV of his, but I, I don't think I've ever seen any of his stuff. Because you have all these master shots, and then when it's time for the actual storm, that's when he goes close up, close up, close up. Yeah. I just love that juxtaposition. Gonna be a good movie. Gonna be yucky. Mm-hmm. Very yucky. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, 
It's not something <laughs> you resort to out of choice for 99% right. of people. Can we can we discuss the Rebel Moon trailer? Do we have uh, to? <laughs> Zack Snyder. So we get a Sauron-looking dude at the beginning of the trailer. Anthony mm-hmm. Hopkins narrating. Lots of close-ups of hands and mm-hmm. statues blowing up. And mm-hmm. Sophia Butella starring in the film, banging some alarm at some invasion, invasion of uh, whatever. Nazi-looking bad guys. Yes. Weird creatures. You got the giant spider lady, some mm-hmm. hawk creature walking down the aisle. Yeah. <laughs> some wedding. A griffin. Two griffins. Some squib man alien. Yeah. You could with, be describing Futurama right now, by the way. Okay. Well, people with bags on their heads at the beginning of the trailer, but it looks like they're about to be executed. And then bag-headed people playing fiddles at the end of the trailer. <laughs> fiddles. They're not being executed. They're just being changed just, as the musicians. They're just being, you know, unleashed with the power <laughs> of... <sighs> Charlie, Charlie Daniels. <laughs> yeah. no, I, mean, uh, I mean, this movie looks so annoying after this trailer. Netflix has got to get you fire their trailer They're people so, after this week. Well, Half of them. Because some of these trailers are awful and some of them are great. This is a cookie cutter franchise play. Netflix is desperate to get franchise IP, which is why I think they ultimately do end up getting in bed with either Disney or some other big name or DC. I don't know. For, I mean, it might be WB for how much we know Zaslav loves licensing his stuff out, but uh, this is a fran- just Can we mm-hmm. stop trying to redo Star Wars? Just stop. Stop with the space opera bullshit. You two, Villeneuve, just let sleeping dogs lay. All right. Well, here's the, here's the issue. And my brother Dave and I are huge fans of space opera. opera. So also Dave and Schmave. What's your favorite one will- besides Star Wars? Well, Guardians of the Galaxy in movie form, however... Okay, what's your favorite standalone franchise one? Listen, there are so many great space opera book series out there. And we were just... My brother and I were going back and forth one after another. We love to read these book series and make one of those into a movie. Make... I mean, good God, man. I mean, the, the, the Red Rising book series is one of the best ever it's just recent i mean i I love that so much and Zack snyder is given carte blanche however many hundreds of millions of dollars to just make this blatant ripoff of game of thrones meets star wars with my you know also dave was all over after watching this trailer texting me like why why is this just an annoying so blandly generic i i was expecting mila kunis or channing tatum to pop up because i was 95 (laughs) percent sure this was their movie that they did. The elf. Remember the elf ears? Yeah, that they had? right. What was that? Not Cloud Atlas, which was another one. Uh, what was what was the name of that movie? Good Christ. I don't want to remember it. <laughs> I don't even care. It's just ears. Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> Gives a shit. <laughs> Good. I will we not don't... be watching this. Yeah, Rebel Moon. Damn. All right, Flora and Son. Here was a movie I was anticipating because I love Once. Begin Again was solid. Uh, I think a lot of people love Sing Street. I was, again, I thought Sing Street was solid. Uh, John Carney, really good director. And this trailer was nails on a chalkboard to me, Michael. Eve Hewson, love her TV CV. Mm-hmm. Bad Sisters, The Nick, Blood Ties. She's awesome. Great actress. She can't hold a tune in this trailer now maybe <laughs> she's in a musical maybe she's a wonderful singer i 
it was like ridiculous in this trailer, wasn't it? <laughs> I, like, I didn't get that. I'll be honest, but ooh. <laughs> oh no, wasn't good. It wasn't good. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, charming Zoom guitar teacher. Not only will he fix her, her you know her strumming of that guitar, but he will fix her family life <laughs> and her heart. Come on, I like this trailer. <laughs> I feel like this family could have lived right next door to the Coda family in the same town for the themes and tropes that what we saw here in this. Well, that's what I was hoping with Flora and Son. That'll be like Coda. Yeah, well, you struggling kids and parents relationship, both trying to find their way through this life and settling on music in some way as a means of escape and eventual bonding. I liked it. I didn't mind it. I didn't have issues with the tone or the pitch or anything going on singing-wise. I was charmed by it. No. I'm glad we could disagree on a couple trailers. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm being sincere. In, a, mm-hmm. in an episode where we have 72 trailers, we should not have the same opinion on all of them. <laughs> well, I'm glad you want to see this movie more now. I, yeah. I'm, I'm like way down on this movie. I was, I was very. Will you out. see this or Cloud Atlas Ascending for what is it called? Rebel Moon first. <laughs> Cloud Atlas, Atlas <laughs> Jupiter Ascending. Oh, uh, I don't want to watch Rebel Moon at all. Yeah, all right. Me I, I might officially just be done with him. I ca- I cannot. Well, I did in an entire episode with a guest, a beloved guest that we need to have back on. By the way. Uh, the, the the Justice League Redux or whatever that yeah. was called. Yeah. Well, it was the, the Snyder Cut, yeah. Oh, my God. Foe. <laughs> Foe anyway. of Amazon Studios. All right. Now, this movie is premiering at the New York Film Festival, The Night of Poor Things, and I want to see it, but it, it comes on Amazon, like, next week. I'm yeah, so you, ha- you have to see Poor Things. I have to see Poor Things, but I wanted to do a double feature. I didn't want to just go into the city for one night or for one movie, but that's apparently what my brother and I are going to do. We may get a little what like, if poor, what comedy if the screening of Poor Things is just it's held and the movie plays in the background, but it's a, just an eyes wide shut orgy. You Dang. get handed a mask, you go in, <laughs> <laughs> then let it let let it be. I guess <laughs> Alice Tully Hall breaks out in a in a giant orgy. Just for two hours and twenty two minutes of runtime, just or and then it ends and everybody puts their and they just leave and that's it. Uh, why is this happening? Everybody goes to PJ Clark's afterwards. Everybody should go to PJ Clark's afterwards. That would be the p- perfect post orgy <laughs> meal. I agree. Foe, we're talking about Foe, which is yeah. a romance that is not perverted like you and I. Mm-hmm. Co-ri- co-written and directed by Garth Davis of Lion, a six-time Oscar nominee. Top of the Lake, which was however many Emmy nominations. Uh, Ian Reed, the the writer of the book, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, that was directed by Charlie Kaufman. we got a lot of parallels yeah. to this episode. Starring Saoirse Ronan and Paul Mescal. Aaron Pierre of uh, Old and the Underground Railroad. 2065 futuristic premise again very socially conscious in the sense that we're dealing with a a ruined earth after climate change and apparently we have paul mescal invited to work on a space station and saoirse ronan being stuck on earth Mm -hmm. but i tell you this is much more intriguing than i i thought it had any business being do you really want to continue to live mundane lives or do you really want to be part of something special aaron pierre doing the cell job and then he's like do you really want to leave her all day, every day, alone? So why not give her an AI husband replacement there, buddy? 
I don't know what I expected from the movie that's about the husband leaving to live on a different planet and possibly leaving behind a clone, but I, for some reason, didn't expect there to be the, the drama centered on an argument about whether the husband leaving to live on a different planet should leave behind a clone of himself. Right. So I don't know why I... I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Um, for her to... The story is intriguing, I agree. For but. her to jump on the table and, like, open-hand slap the salesman, oh my god, that was a crazy visual. Why was I bored by this trailer? Hmm. I mean, you're bored by a lot of things. That's fair. That's fair. That I are, am a curmudgeon. <laughs> that are not that boring to me, who stares off in the distance and dreams about Bigfoot. And we are. Re- I mean, the dynamic between you and I really is worthy of psychological evaluation. <laughs> I thought it was a misery enjoys company thing for the longest time. Now I do think we we might be uniquely. Screwed up in opposite directions. I yeah, agree. but and then we, but it's it, it's the it's like a a par, par, parabellum or parabola or like because it just like I, I'm the cynic on the outside, but I'm a romantic on the but and you're more cynical when you get down and deep. It's just it's really mm-hmm. fascinating stuff. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So what the hell are we going to think of this final trailer? Is this the final trailer, Cat Person? It has we'll, to be because we'll let me tell it. you about Cat Person, Mike. Let me tell you about this trailer, Cat Person. <laughs> For the first, like, 30 seconds of this trailer, I thought it was supposed to be the trailer for the Luc Besson film Dogman that played in Venice. <laughs> so I was like, oh, Geraldine Viswanathan's in this. That's weird. And like, oh, Nicholas Braun. You would think that would be advertised more since he was just part of Succession. And I, I had no idea what I was watching. <laughs> yeah. So this is like the dating uh, apps satire horror movie. Mm. Um, and it's I love based on a true story is what the trailer says. Okay. Well, I love the narrative device of basically you have Amelia Jones talking to her best friend, Geraldine Viswanathan about her dating life and, or, you know, about Amelia, Amelia's dating life here. And I just love the back and forth. Cause like everything he does is, you know, commenting on my Viswanathan. It's really funny. I mean, she's got comedy chops from blockers, etc., beanie bubble and, and uh, that's funny. I mean, his his eyes are nice. They crinkle because he's old <laughs> right off the bat there. And then he's the worst kisser ever. And that was the worst kiss I've ever seen. I wanted to die. I, I completely agree. And that's a credit, I think, to both uh, Nicholas Braun and Amelia Jones there for being able to do that. I, I mean, he's literally eating her chin. Oh, no. Oh, it makes me oh, the worst. Terrifying. The horror movie kiss of all time. Just terrifying. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the, it doesn't get better from there. I, I like the uh, I like the Park Chan-wook kind of yeah. cut cutaways. Like, you know, all of the, what I'm guessing and what I'm hoping are hallucinated. The Mission Impossible. Know, her, this is how the plan is supposed to go. Montage. Right. Yeah. Falls off the mountain, electrocuted mm-hmm. the bathroom, her dreaming of ways to kill him after she says, one of us has to die. But so, <laughs> so this, by the way, is what I envision when I think of independent film and why I had the stance I had before. I like uh, they were generalizing everything again. Yeah. Well, it's a safe place to be. Nobody will ever throw Nobody. these words back in our face. <laughs> All of independent film. <laughs> We're both doing it. I'm, I'm, we're doing it in opposite directions. Right. But, yeah. mm-hmm. Man, what cat an person. <laughs> cat person. What, the, what, what, what do we expect from Cat? Do you expect this to be a good film or no? I, 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 I it's something I'm, go- I'm 
clearly it's right up our alley, right? Yeah. I this mean, is like something that we want to have in the scaries, I hope. Did you not hear anything about it? I feel like this is brand new, though. Well, this, this is from Sundance. Sundance. Yeah, Sundance. and I feel like I didn't hear about it. Did we talk about this ever? I don't remember. I don't either. It doesn't ring a bell, and I feel like something like this plot should. I'm sure we did. <laughs> what a way to finish. And scene. <laughs> Roses, applause. Uh, yeah, look, again, sorry for the uh, single episode this week. Life, life, and, and it is what it is. But we will get back on the schneid, and hopefully we'll be back to your regularly scheduled MMO programming uh, starting next week with multiple episodes. On the schneid or off the schneid? You called Col- Coleman Domingo Colton Domingo earlier, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if that I mentioned that. Like an hour ago. It's like an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> I just, just thought because you was said that on just the eating away at you this entire time. Apparently, I remember I was gonna bring it up and then I didn't. And anyway. well, a little little <laughs> little tease for people. And you don't like independent film, apparently. <laughs> but you might. <laughs> I don't know where to go from here, but uh, dear listener, uh, what matters most to us, as always, are your thoughts. We want to hear from you. What are you hoping to hear more of review wise from these uh, from both Telluride and Venice as well? What are your thoughts on any of these trailers? Uh, what do you think their Oscars chances are? You can leave us all those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts and if you're listening to us on either the apple podcast or spotify app if you appreciate what you do what we do what you do good god if you appreciate what we do if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review those help us out immensely maybe not for this episode but you know we're good other times uh michael tell the good people what's coming next let's have some words of wisdom to end on all right well i have a question for you because we're going to continue to review the reviewers on all of these sure these film festival movies, especially over the next few weeks. And we got Venice and Telluride finishing up before TIFF starts. And a lot of Oscar race checkpoints coming. I'm wondering, and you wanted to do a fantasy draft today. Yes. But I'm wondering which film you think will get the Dune 1 treatment, where it's curing mm. cancer and it's just the pen- pundits will... They can't help themselves. The critics are just going to go goo goo gaga. Is it Maestro, yep. the killer? Nope. Maestro, Maestro was the first thing that popped in my mind. Maestro could be it. I what mean, are the, the other boy, options? Go ahead. Well, I mean, we can keep going down the list. Priscilla. Priscilla is 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 going to get its first reactions. May, May December came out in, uh, in Cannes. Yep. All right. Let me go back to the Tribeca list here. Or, excuse me, Tribeca list. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the Tribeca list. Yeah, let me go back to the. Li- anyway, we have Nyad. I think is is going to get some but first is reactions. Swimming right? acting. <laughs> I don't know. It depends. <laughs> and well, those are kind of the. Th- that, is that it for the the, the final first the reactions? World premieres. Uh, I think it is. Yeah, it might be. I I I would be very surprised if we at least about Carrie Mulligan and. Something about Bradley Cooper. I'm still not convinced Bradley Cooper is not a smaller role than people think in that movie. Hitman, Origin, Memory, Priscilla, Maestro, The Killer. And then, uh, yeah, I wonder if The Killer is going to get good reviews. I hope so. I really am hopeful for it. Rooting for it like hell. I yeah. want Fincher to be good. Me too. Great again. Me too. I want. That's why I'm disappointed. Like, he 
God damn it, does he deserve a director Oscar and a picture Oscar? I mean, obviously Tarantino does as well. Like, there's a bunch of people that do, but Fincher's mm-hmm. just one of my favorites. OG for us. Mm-hmm. No question. All right, we do have to stop talking, I think. That's probably for the best. It's wise words <laughs> from me for once. Those are, those are the words of wisdom. <laughs> just stop talking. We have to stop talking. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come <laughs> stop talking with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuff. And we will see you all very soon. See you.